Welcome to Jay is for Justice podcast. If live breaking news and following true crime is your thing, then please consider subscribing to my channel. And if you like what you see in my videos, please consider giving them a thumbs up. Good evening, everybody. Let me pull up my chat over here. Hope you guys had a great Saturday today. I know I had a dreary, rainy Saturday here in Florida. I hope you guys are all doing good, as well as you, Potato. Welcome to the panel. Hello. It's also rainy here, too. So it's pretty gross. <sighs> yeah. It's miserable. It looked like nighttime in my living room in the middle of the day. So it was like one mm -hmm. of those days. It's a good night to stream, though. Well, it so, is nighttime here. <laughs> it's already nighttime, but yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and agreeing to be the Petito's lawyer today. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. That's really kind of a, a tough shoes to fill. So I wish you luck. <laughs> Don't make me nervous. Well, I'm Bertolino, so <laughs> it doesn't get any worse than that. <laughs> and I am definitely not from New York, and I definitely don't have a New York accent, but we're going to give this a whirl. It's a lot, so I just want to preface by saying we're not going to probably get through this. Um, it actually is 119 pages. Wow. So, <laughs> just his, yeah. <laughs> so, I kind of cheated, and I scrolled down to the end, and I was like, whoa. He's really like paragraph after paragraph after paragraph, just word vomit, diarrhea of the mouth, diarrhea of the mouth. Mm -hmm. So we'll get through as much as we can in the next like hour and a half so that it's not too long. Um, but we do get through probably a lot of it. Sound good? Mm hmm. Um, people are getting snow right now, so I guess that we shouldn't really complain. Yeah, it could too, be too much. Yeah. Um, no rain in PA. Uh, Angie B got six inches today. Ooh, uh, Angie B. <laughs> Lucky Angie. <laughs> right. Woo, can I get woo, some applause for that one? <laughs> oh, Angie. Oh, Meg's kids wanted to say. Thank you again for the birthday shout out the other day. I know that purple's hard to read. I don't know how to change it. Um, but her twins, she has now, is it seven-year-old? They went from six to seven. Seven-year-old twin boys who just had a birthday the other day. She got her hands full. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoy this. We're going to just get into it. We're not going to be looking at chat. We'll take like a break and kind of reconvene and and talk about what we've read but we're just going to kind of read through this and i hope you guys enjoy this read through of steven bertolino's what is it deposition i had a brain fart yeah steven bertolino's deposition in the petito laundry case we've been waiting for these answers so let's begin potato is the lawyer by the way mr riley Mr. Riley, <clears throat> he does not know. Sorry, I'm trying to get into <laughs> uniform here. Okay. State your I'm name not gonna for the record, please. Stephen Bertolino. 
state your address, please? 48 Captain's Drive, Islip, New York, 11751. Good morning, Mr. Bertolino. Good morning. You're an attorney, so I assume you don't need me to give you instructions on taking this deposition. You do not. You do not. Okay. Have you ever been known by any other name? No. What's your date of birth? December 21st, 1966. So you're currently how old? 56. And the address that you gave, is that your home address or your office address? Home address. What is your office address? 130 West Main Street, East Islip, New York, 11730. Married? No. Divorced? Yes. Children? Two. Two daughters? Yes. And their names and ages? Samantha Bertolino, 32. Sarah Bertolino, 27. What's your educational background? I have a high school diploma. I have a college degree and I have a law degree. Where did you go to college? I went to Dowling College. Dowling? <laughs> it's an ancient Chinese college, now defunct. D-O-W-L-I-N-G. Where was that located? Oakdale, New York. When did you go there? 1985 to 1989. What degree did you obtain? Business, just a general business degree. Okay. I think it was called a BBA, Bachelor's in Business Arts, perhaps. Did you go right to law school after college? I did not. What did you do after college? I continued working. Where did you work? I was self-employed. Doing what? Swimming pools. Doing what with swimming pools? Mostly construction at that time. Where did you do that? On Long Island. When did you start? 1982-83. And how long did you continue to do that? I still do it today. Okay. Under what name? I'm sorry. I don't understand the question. What name? Do you have a business name? I do have a business, yes. What's the business name? South Shore Pools and Bertolino Brothers Pools. South Shore Pools? Yes. When did you go to law school? 91 to 94. What law school? Hofstra Law School. And you graduated in 94? I did. With a JD? Yes, sir. Did you begin practicing law upon graduation? Sort of. What does that mean? Means when I got to law school, there was still a recession in this country and they were paying lawyers about 40 grand a year. And I was making more than that doing swimming pools. So I just continued my pool company employment through the remainder of 94, took the bar in the winter of 95 and began practicing at the end of 95, 96 when I was admitted. When you first started practicing, where were you working? I was self-employed. Have you been self-employed since 1996? I have. Under what name? Stephen P. Bertolino, PC. Continuously operating under that name? Yes, sir. Are there any other lawyers in the practice other than you? No. Are you licensed in any other state? No. Has your license in New York ever been suspended? 
No. What areas of practice? What areas of the law do you practice? Currently? Yes. Permanently, I do real estate, land use transactional work, and some slight litigation on the civil side. Every now and then, I'll take a criminal thing for a client. How long has that been the nature of your practice? Probably about the past 10 years or so. What did you do prior to that? Uh, I was primarily criminal and civil litigation, doing a lot of personal injury trials, and I weaned that out, started going into more of the transactional side of things. So you said that you've done some criminal work in the last seven years. Yes. In the last several years. What percentage oh. of your practice do you think is criminal? Maybe 10%. Other than South Shore Pools and Bertolino Pools and your practice, any other businesses that you operate? I have a real estate holding company called Oakdale Lots, LLC. Are you the only member of the LLC? I am. What's the business of Oakdale Lots? It maintains a real, it re, oh, sorry. It maintains a real property that the company owns. On Long Island? Yes, sir. And any other businesses? Yes. I own 130 West Main EI LLC is another entity that I have membership in. Say that name again. 130 West Main EI LLC. And you said you have a one third interest in that. No, I have a membership interest, 50%. Okay. And what's the business of that LLC? It holds real estate, technically my law office. Any other businesses? No. Have you ever been party to litigation previously? Yes. In what kind of litigation? Civil. Were you the plaintiff or the defendant? Well, let me rephrase that. When you say me, you're referring to my companies or myself? First of all, yourself. Myself? Yes. Plaintiff or defendant? Both. Okay, how many? Well, recent one comes to mind is my divorce. Other than your divorce, any other litigation that you were a party of personally? Recently, I had to sue somebody who damaged my daughter's car and they refused to remedy the situation, so I sued him. Okay. Any other litigation that you were a party to? Yeah, but it's been so long ago, I couldn't tell you. Probably 85, 86. What was the nature of that litigation? Somebody sued me. For? The, I guess, property damage and physical damage or whatever they had as a result of an incident with a car. Anything else? When I was a kid, I know I was a party to a lawsuit. I was in an accident and I hurt my right knee and I guess they sued and I was maybe 12 or 13. Okay. And in the business ventures that you described... Have you been a party of any litigation? My pool company has been sued a couple times from customers. What was the nature of the suits? One, I'm trying to go recently. One was somebody dove into a pool, hurt their neck, and claimed the pool was defective. Okay. Any others? Another one, a homeowner refused to pay, so I sued him in small claims court. And because he was an attorney and thought he knew the system, he countersued me in Supreme Court. And we litigated that, and he wound up paying what he was supposed to pay. Any other suits? 
multiple over the years, mostly small claim stuff, things of that nature. Nothing that ring a bell of anything important. Have you ever had a malpractice claim filed against you? No. Any complaints with the Bar Association? No. How do you know the laundries? I met the laundries in October of 1994 when I moved into the home I purchased on Baywood Lane in Bayport, New York. I'm sorry, I don't remember what you said your home address was. Is that where you currently reside? No, I reside at 48 Captain's Drive. My ex-wife resides on Baywood Lane. What was the laundry's address at that time, if you know? 14. 14 Baywood Lane? Yes, sir. How long did you remain neighbors? I'd say about 10 years, maybe 12 years. Until you got divorced? No, I only got divorced in 2020. Technically, the decree came in in 2020. I moved out in 2022. I moved out in 2020. So you said you were neighbors from October of 94 for about 10 years? Yes, sir. Did someone move out of that neighborhood? Did the laundries move out? That's a good question. Yes, the laundries moved out. Okay. Approximately in 2004. Give or take. Did you remain in contact with them? Yes. They only moved a few blocks away to Brown River Road in Bayport. What's your the nature of your relationship with them? I still do business with them and we're friends. During that 10-year period when you were neighbors, did you socialize with them? Absolutely. How often would you socialize with them? Every night. What do you mean by every night? We lived on a long dead-end street, and it was an amazing block where you could come home at night, you sit on the bench on the curb, and there must have been 20, 25 kids under 15, probably under 10, my two, Chris and Roberta. When I, <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. When I first moved in, <clears throat> it was only Casey. And after a couple of years, Brian was born and there was multiple other kids. And it was just one big party every night after work. We had annual block potties. People have pool potties. After they moved away from that property, did you continue to socialize with them? I did. How often? A couple times a year, we'd see each other at dinner parties, barbecues. Do you know when they moved to Florida? I do not. I can tell you. They moved to Florida twice. To my recollection, after Browns River, they moved to, I'm going to say, Oakwood Lane and Bayport. And then after they moved from Oakwood, I think they moved to, I could be wrong. I think they moved to Florida and they moved back and they moved to Second Avenue, bought a house there. And then after the Second Avenue, I think they rented an apartment in contemplation of moving to Florida and they moved to Florida and kind of split their time. After they moved to Florida, I think their testimony was around 2020, but I could be mistaken. It sounded like it was sometime around that time frame. That was probably the permanent move. Yes. After that point in time, how much contact would you have had with them? I would talk to them a few times a year. They were doing business with my office, and I would say once or twice I saw them at a neighbor's barbecue, Debbie Molin and Neri's house. 
What business ventures were you involved in with the laundries? Well, Chris and I were catching up. And I remember that Malarinus or the Gomez's, one of the neighbors had a barbecue and Chris and Roberta were up. We were just rehashing. What are you up to? What are you doing? I told them I was investing in private lending. I explained to Chris what I had, what I was, what that was. He expressed an interest and he decided he wanted to try it. So he was doing some investing in private lending. Was that the first time you had had business relationship with the laundries? Other than representing them on transactional work? Yes. Do you still have that business relationship with them? Yes. The investment part of it? Yes. Well, they are no longer invested. They got their last check, August 13th, 2021. After they moved to Florida in 2020, except for the matter that brings us here today, did you have any professional relationship, attorney-client relationship with them? No. There was. I did their last sale when they sold 2nd Avenue or 2nd Street in Bayport. They had sold the property. They head out in Sad, Sag Harbor. That was years ago. I would say other than the investments, no. So is it fair to say the nature of your representation of them prior to 2021 involved real estate transactions? Yes. Prior to August of 2021, had you ever been in contact? Have you had you ever been contacted for representation by the laundries because of any issues with Brian? No. There come to a point in time in 2021 when you received a phone call from one of the laundries about an issue with Brian? Yes, sir. Do you recall when that was? August 29th, 2021. How is it that you remember the date? It's impossible not to remember that date. Who contacted you? Chris Laundry. Do you recall what time of day it was? It was either late afternoon or early evening. It could have been four o'clock, could have been seven o'clock. Do you know what day of the week that was? It was a Sunday. What did he say to you? Well, I had seen that he had texted me and tried to call me. I don't recall what I was doing that day. I just did not think anything of it. And when I got in my truck to head home, I gave him a call. And he proceeded to tell me, you know, we did catch up. How are you? What's going on? Proceeded to tell me about Brian and Gabby, whose existence I didn't know of. Told me they were taking a trip out west and he received a phone call with, from Brian. Brian was extremely upset, extremely frantic, and told him that he needed help, that Gabby was gone. He said, Brian asked for a lawyer. He said, Dad, get me a lawyer. My recollection was that Brian had hung up on him and that was the gist of the conversation. Do you know how long the conversation was? Maybe 20 minutes, probably less. I don't think it was much more than that. You said he texted you also. What did he say in the text? No. I could see that there was, maybe it wasn't a text. Maybe some phone calls. I don't recall. There might have been a text. Call me or something like that. Oh, I know he tried to reach out. Let me put it that way. I remember. I believe the phone call, and I know you have the logs, which I have not looked at. 
but I believe I called him actually. Okay. And it was in response to him trying to get me. That's my recollection. According to the phone records that we reviewed during the laundry's deposition, you were present. And I can show you the records if you want. Chris called you at about 4.23 and it doesn't look like the call went through. He called you back at 4.25. It doesn't look like that call went through. He called again at 4.30, 4.32, and then you called him back at 4.36. And there was a, according to the records we have, a 10-minute phone call. Does that sound right? Sounds about right. Okay. And he told you, what was his state of mind when he called you? He was very upset. Very, well, I've known Chris for a very long time. And he doesn't swing much emotionally. And it was just exasperation. And he told you that Gabby was gone? He told me that he received again. He had to bring me up to speed, if you will. I mean, I don't know much about Brian. The last time I knew about Brian, he was a bicyclist. He liked bicycles. I didn't know he had a girlfriend. I didn't know who Gabby was. He brought me up to speed on that. And then he said, we have an issue. As I just said a moment ago. The word he used was Brian told him Dick Gabby was gone. Okay, so you're making this sound almost like it was a calm conversation, the way you're testifying. And in fact, it was not a calm conversation. It was not a calm conversation. I had no reason to be anything but calm. I was literally sitting in my truck, driving home. And I remember that phone call terminated while I was in my driveway. Did you ask him what he meant by Gabby was gone? I asked him if he knew what Brian meant. What did he say? He said he didn't know. And we kind of bantered back and forth like what was going on. And my recollection was that there was something about they were hiking on a trail or they were on a trail. And beyond that, I don't recall. Okay. He did not say anything about what happened when they were hiking on the trail? The word... There was no conversation about, quote, what happened. The conversation was what Brian told him was in a hurried way, in like a frantic way. Gabby is gone, Dad. You know, I need help. I need a lawyer. And I didn't receive that phone call. I received the phone call from Chris. So I can only tell you how Chris was conveying it to me. Is that more important than this? No, I'm putting it aside. Thank you. Thanks for asking. So he told you that Brian was frantic. <laughs> I read your part. Sorry. Yeah, I knew. <laughs> no problem. I don't think he used the word frantic. He was like, like, I don't want to put words in Chris's mouth. But the way I took it was that Brian was incomprehensible. He was like, and the word frantic, and the reason I said I don't want to put words in Chris's mouth is I was present at his deposition, and I heard him describe it that way. So that's what's popping into my mind, but that's not the word I would have used. I can tell you how Chris was, and Chris was exasperated, which is a very difficult way to explain that conversation. You know, when you get a call from a friend, and they're just beside themselves, and he's explaining to me that Brian is beside himself. And now you're asking me to put a term on it, which is difficult to do. And I think you said, Brian said to, Chris told you, Brian said, 
get a lawyer or I need a lawyer. Something to the effect, you know, dad, I need a lawyer or call a lawyer. I don't recall asking. I don't think Chris said, I don't think Brian said, call me. I think that was Chris saying, what lawyer do I know who I can call? Did Brian or Chris say what kind of lawyer they wanted to get? Hang on. <laughs> did Brian say to Chris or did Chris say to you what kind of lawyer they should get? No. Okay. But he said he needed help. That was the gist of it. Yes. More than help. Lawyer. Okay. So putting that together, on a hike, Gabby is gone. It's a frantic or incomprehensible phone call from Brian. Chris is upset. Get a lawyer. I need help. What did you understand that to mean with regard to Gabby? And I heard you ask those same questions to both Chris and Roberta with your ex exasperation of what did that possibly mean? And I've been thinking a lot about that in the last couple of days. And at that time, I actually said to Chris was, and I did, I know you, I didn't ask the question what I did say to Chris, but I said to Chris, if he calls back, you give him my number. You tell him to talk to me. And I told Chris not to talk to him about it, that he should have Brian call me if he calls back. I said, I'll work on getting him a lawyer. And you seem bewildered by the response of what could possibly go through your mind at a point at that point in time. And I can tell you as an attorney, everything went through my mind from gone, meaning she ran away to gone, meaning he killed her to gone, meaning any one of those things. And I don't believe Chris was calling me because Gabby went to California for a beach vacation. I didn't think that I probably jumped to the worst. So that's what I thought. Okay, jump to the worst meaning. You thought Gabby was dead. I didn't know. I had no idea. But if someone is calling me that upset, they need help. Chris wasn't calling me because Brian broke his ankle. Chris was calling me because Brian needed help. And it sounded to me that it was serious. What that meant, I did not know. Did Chris say to you what he thought it meant when Brian said Gabby is gone? He did not. Okay, but you thought... That was one of the possibilities that she was dead, correct? It was certainly a possibility. Okay. What did you do after that phone call? I told Chris. Chris conveyed to me that Brian had hung up. I asked him where he was. He did not know. And I said, okay, I want to get in my house. If he calls back, you give him my number and tell him to call me and don't talk to him. I went in my house. I believe I called Chris again, although you can confirm that. And then I started looking into attorneys in Wyoming. Okay. You said you asked Chris where Brian was. He said he didn't know. Did you hear at his deposition? He said Brian is, was in Jackson. So I'm not asking for clarification, but my recollection is that it was a second phone call I had with Chris. If you would tell me that I had a second phone call by looking at the logs, I believe I went into the house just to get settled in the house and continued that conversation in the house. So your first phone call with Chris was at 4.36. It lasted 10 minutes. You called him then about 10 minutes later and then... How long was that phone call, counselor? That was 29 seconds, so I'm not even sure. Did you have a phone call that short? Probably not. Okay. 
Then Chris called Brian at 4.53 for 10 minutes. Chris called you then at five o'clock. And again, it's 25 seconds. So there's no indication of whether that call went through, but at 9.07, I'm sorry, 5.07, you called Chris and you spoke for about 20 minutes. That's probably the conversation that we went back and forth as to what do we do. Tell me what you discussed during that conversation. My recollection was Brian had hung up the phone. I don't recall that Chris said to me that he spoke to Brian again. You're telling me he did. I don't recall that. He did. Yes. I don't recall. That's fine. I know I spoke to Chris and I believe Roberta at that time. Maybe not. Roberta may have been the next day. We had a little back and forth as to what this could mean. And, you know, did it mean that they had separated on the trail? Did it mean they had a fight on the trail? Did it mean that Gabby was dead? And yes, that was a possibility I put out there. What could it mean? And I said, I don't practice in Wyoming. We need to get Wyoming lawyers and I will work on that. Tell them to stay put. And this is what troubles me to this day. I told him to, if he calls back, you should tell him to stay there and we'll make arrangements to go out, get an attorney out there and deal with this. Oh, and I think that conversation, because I didn't forget your question. You asked me about Jackson and I believe it was in that conversation, not the one in my truck where I was pressing Chris as to where Brian was. And I got more information that they had been in the West. I knew they were hiking out West. I didn't know where. When I was in my vehicle, in my home, he had indicated that they were in a national park somewhere and it was somewhere near Jackson. I remember asking him Jackson Hole and Chris didn't have a clue. And I said to him, does Yellowstone ring a bell? Because I've been out there several times and I know the area. And Chris said, no, it didn't. And I said, well, what about the Tetons? Did he mention the Tetons? And Chris said, all he knew was Jackson. And it was my belief, and it would have been Jackson Hole. And if it wasn't Yellowstone, it would have been Bridger Teton. You said that you put out there that Gabby could be dead, correct? Yes. Oh, I put out that it was a possibility that gone could be dead, yes. And what was Chris's response to that? That was something he did not contemplate. He could not believe it. And there was a lot of, I don't know, there was a lot of, oh my God. And again, knowing Chris, you know, it's not a very, it's a very calm. And I don't mean calm like, oh my God, there's nothing to worry about. It's a very mellow demeanor. And I don't think I've ever seen Chris get excited. You said something about, and I don't know if these were the exact words that you regret this to this day, but you told them to tell Brian to stay there. I didn't say I regret. I don't have many regrets. I said, I'm troubled by this. Why are you troubled by, th by that? Because we actually had a conversation. And I believe it was the next day on the 30th because I was, I remember talking to Roberta about it. So if you want to stay on Sunday, we could do that. If you want to jump to Monday, you tell me. No, let's stay on Sunday. Tell me what else you discussed that day with them, because there was another phone call. There were several phone calls that day. 
There was one more phone call that day at five o'clock, 5.14, that lasted 11 minutes. I think that's the one we were just talking about. Okay. You said it was a 20-minute phone call. And forgive me, Mr. Riley, I truly don't remember the length of these phone calls or how many there were. And I wouldn't either. And these records are confusing because they appear as different phone calls. But then you add it up and it's one phone call. It's difficult to tell. And I'll tell you, the phone records don't show you having a conversation with Roberta Laundry on the 29th. So how many phone calls do you recall having with Chris Laundry on the 29th? Two-part question. Let me answer it this way. I don't think I had a conversation with Roberta on her cell phone for weeks after that. Most, if not all, of the conversations I had were on Chris's cell. And they included Chris and Roberta. And they would have me on speaker. And just this morning, Roberta would say, Hi, Stephen, I'm here. And they would converse with me that way. So I can tell you with any definitive statement that Chris and Roberta were on that second or third phone call. I do not recall. I can tell you. As sure as we're sitting here, Roberta was not on that first call. That was a separate phone call with Chris. I think my question was, how many phone calls do you recall with Chris on that day? I know it was more than one. Could there be two, three, or four? Or the duration of them? I do not recall. Is there anything else you recall about the conversations with them on that day, the 29th, that you have not already disclosed? The answer would not be specifically for the 29th because, as you may understand, some of the conversations I had with them on the 30th, in my mind, two years later, may have happened on the 29th. It may have happened on the 30th. I don't know. Fair enough. Okay. Did you talk about what you said? You said you needed a Wyoming lawyer. Did you talk about what kind of Wyoming lawyer? We needed... I believe a criminal Wyoming lawyer. Again, I didn't believe that Chris called me because Brian needed a personal injury lawyer. And that's because Gabby didn't just walk away. I had no idea what Gabby did. What I knew was the terminology was gone. And to me, as an attorney, you and I hear things differently than a layperson. And what I heard in that conversation was that Brian needed a criminal lawyer. So then we turn to you the next day. You don't recall, again, you can't remember which conversations occurred which. You started to tell me something about Roberta. Hang on, let him ask a question. I did. He started to say something about Roberta. I didn't say I don't remember the conversation. I mean, I remember the conversations. I just don't remember 100% what may have been said on Sunday versus what was said on Monday. And I wasn't suggesting otherwise, but you started to say something about Roberta and speaking with Roberta. So the next day, which was Monday, I called and I think Roberta either picked up or was on the phone. But it was Roberta who told me that Brian called her that night or in the morning, that morning, sometime between Sunday and Monday business hours, if you will, that he had gotten the van and he was driving home. Okay. According to the record, well, according to the records, Chris and Roberta, there were phone calls between Chris's phone and Brian's phone. So to be fair, as you've been saying, Roberta may have been on the call, but may not have been on the call. But there were calls at five in the afternoon with Brian. 
5.30. And then the next conversation, according to the records, was at about 8.10 Sunday evening. Chris called you and there is a three minute and 39 second phone conversation. On Sunday? On Sunday. Could have been. Okay. If your records say so, I have no reason to doubt it. And then there was a phone call placed from Brian's phone to Chris's phone about 8.14. There was a nine minute conversation and then the record shows again, this is on 8.24 Sunday night, a five minute phone call between you and Chris at 8.24. If you say so. And then Brian spoke with Roberta, as you had testified to that night at about 10.30. They spoke at about 10.50 in the morning on the 30th, and then you placed a call at 12.46 to these times are wrong. I have the wrong time. Whatever the time, we all understand that. And we established at the other depositions that the phone logs may or may not be the right be to the hour. So Monday, she told you he was in a van and driving. I think you said here. Did you mean back, back to Florida? He was driving. My recollection is that Brian had gotten, Roberta said to me, I said, have you heard from him? Something to that effect. And it was Roberta who said, yeah, but he's gotten in the van and he's driving home. Okay. Do you recall anything else from that conversation? I do. What else do you recall? I was annoyed, but there was nothing I could do about it at the time. Annoyed because he did not stay there? Yes. Okay. And we discussed what we would do when he returned. What did you discuss? I suggested that when he gets back, hopefully by that time, I will have narrowed down an attorney to represent him. And I said to Roberta, I gave her some options. I said, I will meet you out in Wyoming to help you with this, or I can fly down to Florida and meet you because Chris did not want to fly. Chris said, I'm not going back to Wyoming. Back. Chris mm. said, oh. Ooh, I don't like that potato. Maybe this <laughs> after this paragraph will be a nice time to take a little mm. break. See, mm -hmm. I will meet you out in Wyoming to help you with this. Or I can fly down to Florida and meet you because Chris did not want to fly. Chris said, I'm not going back to Wyoming. I'm not keen on flying. And that's why I said I would do that. When you say keen on flying. He just doesn't like to fly. It's what he indicated. Okay. Keep going. Oh, that was me. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So that conversation, I believe, took place on Monday about what to do when Brian gets back to Florida. And when you said meet in Wyoming, meet with who in Wyoming? That was the point at that moment. And again. You're looking to break things into time periods. At that moment in time, we didn't have anybody in Wyoming. We didn't know what happened. We didn't know who we would use. My suspicion was that if he was jumping in the van, coming home, he is going to need to go back to Wyoming. Okay. What else do you recall from that conversation? Pretty much whether it was that 
Monday or Tuesday, I don't remember. I can tell you with certainty that I continue to tell them, do not talk to Brian until he gets home and talks with me. Why didn't you want them to talk to Brian? I didn't want to contaminate anything that Brian would have to say in any way. I didn't know what was going on, and I just did not want there to be any conversation where Brian would talk to Chris and Roberta before talking to me. What do you mean you did not want to contaminate the conversation? Counselor, as you know, certain things are privileged and certain things are not. And I knew that conversations with me would be privileged and I could help him. And if he came home and said whatever he wanted to say to mom and dad, that would not be a good thing from a criminal attorney perspective. What happened next? I believe it was, it could have been Monday night. It could have been Tuesday night. Again, I was, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you could check the records. I do not know for sure, but I can tell you that at some point I was checking in with them. Have you heard from them? What's going on? And whether it was Monday night or Tuesday night, they told me he was somewhere near Tennessee and there was a hurricane coming up from Louisiana at the time and he would be driving through the storm. My recollection was that Chris had sent Brian a text or I tried to call Brian. I think it was a text with the radar map like, be sage. There was a storm coming, whatever it was. That was it. We were in the dark. During this period of time, from when you first got the phone call on the 29th to the point that you were just testifying about right now, was there any further discussion about Gabby? I can tell you, I don't think there was much discussion about Gabby other than the first phone call with Chris. Okay. So he's driving back and there's a storm coming. Chris texts or sends something to Brian. What happens next? At this point, let's say it's, I believe it was Wednesday. It may have been the first. I believe Brian gets home. And again, there may have been one, two, four, five. I don't know how many phone calls between Monday and Tuesday with Chris and Roberta. But when I say we were in the dark, all we knew was that he was driving the van home. And when he got home on the first, I guess at some point, whether he woke up or he got home the 31st late at night, I do not know. My recollection is the next phone call I had with Chris was on the first, which was Wednesday. And I talked to Chris. How are you? What's going on? Is he awake? And yes. And then I had a phone call, a conversation with Brian. Was that your first conversation with Brian? Yes. Was that conversation between you and Brian alone? No. Who was present? Who was present? I can tell you on the phone, there was Tom Fleener and Devin Peterson. And it's P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N. And those are attorneys out in Laramie, Wyoming, correct? They're in Wyoming. I think they have an address in Laramie. But it's my recollection. It was more like a mailing address. I think Tom was out of Denver and Cheyenne. It's different out there. Let's put it that way. Apparently, there's not many lawyers, and they do the Abraham Lincoln riding the circuit type practice. 
Other than yourself, Brian, Tom Fleener, and Devon Peterson, was anyone else on the call? No. Do you know if Roberta and Chris were participating or listening into the call? I was not in the house, but they were not supposed to be listening. And my explicit instruction was that Brian was to be separate. And to my knowledge, Brian was in a separate room. When Chris and Roberta were, where Chris and Roberta were, I do not know. But I do not believe they were listening to that conversation. Okay. Were there ever any conversations between you and Brian where Chris and Roberta were present? Yeah, there was one or two. I would check in with them, you know, pretty much every day, every two days. And as I said, Chris would answer. I don't think I had more than six conversations with Brian in total. And there may have only been one or there may have only been two or three from his phone. And the other two or three were probably Chris's phone. They would all be there. Did you ever discuss what happened out in Wyoming when Chris and Roberta were present as well? Wait, I lost my spot. Where where was I? I lost my spot. I had to look away. Um, it's page 46, line 20. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> when did you first contact Tom Fleener and Devin Peterson? Could have been the 30th. Could have been the 31st. I don't know. It could have been Monday or Tuesday. Monday or Tuesday, I was looking for attorneys. Were they the only attorneys that you called? No. How many other attorneys did you call? I don't know. I don't know. Why did you choose Tom Fleener and Devin Peterson? Can I answer that? Well, hold that thought. You can't disclose anything that Brian told you that might have factored into that selection. But if you can, in a general sense, without disclosing attorney-client communications, identify why you chose them. You could do that. Well, at that time, I had not spoken to Brian yet. And I had spoken to two or three different liars, some of which I was not impressed with, some of which I was. And I reached out to the public defender's office. I can tell you that. Diane Lozano and the Wyoming Public I'm saying Wyoming, it may have been Jackson Hole, whatever public defender's office that was, and I believe she's the one that pointed me in the direction of Fleener and Peterson, that she knew Tom, and I like Tom and Devin. I thought they came across as knowledgeable attorneys who could assist and were open to assisting. Why did you contact the public defender in Jackson Hole? Because I figured Brian, you know, I had asked Chris if Brian, I didn't know Brian at that point in time. I mean... He was a young adult. I had not seen him in years. I figured he didn't have any money. And if he needed a lawyer, I knew Chris and Roberta didn't have a lot of money. Why not get him a public defender? Why Jackson Hole? Jackson was all I knew from Chris. And I just associated Jackson with the national parks and Jackson Hole. And that was my starting point. And to your point, as I learned, things are different out there. And there is not a lot of lawyers, number one. There is only 600,000 people in the whole state, and you could wind up in Cheyenne. You could wind up in Laramie. Tom's card might say Laramie, and he's willing to travel into Denver, into Cheyenne. So some of the attorneys I spoke to may not have been too distant, 
you know, like I'm not going there. I can remember, this is not giving away attorney-client privilege for Brian. I can remember preliminary Tom Fleener saying, we were discussing, we didn't know where Tom was. We didn't know where, and Tom was questioning whether or not it was on federal land in that area. Something occurred in a national park. Wouldn't it be federal jurisdiction? And I believe that's where it got narrowed down. Because he was admitted in federal, and he was more knowledgeable. I was lost in Wyoming. Did you have an attorney-client relationship with Chris and Roberta Laundrie on August 29th of 2021? I believe I did, yes. Okay. What leads you to believe you had a relationship, an attorney-client relationship at that time? I was always their attorney, and I believe when he called me that he was seeking legal advice. He didn't call me. I mean, yes, we're friendly. We weren't going to tailgate parties together, but we were friends. And I believe he was not calling me that as a friend that day. Was he seeking legal advice for Brian or for himself and his wife? I can't answer to what was in his mind. It, in my mind at that moment, I believe it could have been both. I did not think, I did not have enough information on the 29th to know one way or the other. What did Chris and Roberta need legal representation for? Asking me that question now, I could say nothing. At that moment in time, the answer would be nothing. But when your client, who I believe Chris was a client at the time, calls you and says, this is my situation, they're seeking legal advice. But for their son, correct? I object to the form. Again, I don't know what was in Chris's mind. I don't know what would have been in Roberta's mind. That law school question is easy to talk about here and now, but at the moment when you're getting a call from a client and they're asking you a question, I was not thinking about who needs the legal advice here, who is it for? It's easy to do that today. You get a phone call on August 29th and your client and friend says, I've got a problem. I've got an issue and my son needs help. You're not thinking the questions you're asking now. So sorry. After August 29th, was there ever a time when you entered into legal representation of Chris and Roberta for something that resulted as a result from Brian's acts in Wyoming? Yes. What was that for? Not trying to be evasive, but trying to be clear, I believe Chris and Roberta were getting my legal advice from the 29th. I mean, I basically spoke to them, if not every day, every other day, and I was giving them advice. On, on what to do and what not to do. My primary concern at the time was Brian. And I consistently, consistently used the term to, quote, keep him close and keep him safe. And that changed, I believe, on September 11th. Before we get to that, what were they to keep Brian safe from? Himself. Why did you believe Brian needed to be kept safe from himself? I can't answer that question, counselor. Is that a privilege issue? Due to attorney-client privilege, I can't answer that question. Hold on. Let me object to the question and instruct you not to answer because of client attorney-client privilege. You already did. Let me just be clear. The attorney-client privilege that I'm speaking of is the one that is held by Brian. Understood. 
Did Chris and Roberta ever express any concern to you about Brian's safety and well-being? No, not express concern. I mean, I would ask, you know, what's going on? What did you do? What's happening? Where is he? Things like that. They knew my sentiments were to keep him close and keep him safe. But did they have concerns about Brian harming himself? I don't recall a specific conversation where, as an example, they would say, oh, we think Brian is suicidal. No, it wasn't like that. Did you ever ask if there were weapons in the house? Yeah, I did. When did you do that? September 19th. September 19th? Yes. Why September 19th? No, I misspoke. I misspoke September 17th. Why September 17th? The FBI and the Northport police were coming to their home. As we all know, it was chaotic, to put it lightly, outside their home. Chris and Roberta had expressed fear. They were afraid. They didn't know what to do. We had been talking that week about they should leave the home. And Chris was like, what am I going to do? If I leave the home, they're going to follow me somewhere else. I'm going to be in a hotel and they will follow me outside. I might as well just stay home. When the police came, I had asked Chris. I think I had known or maybe it was knowledge given to me from Chris. I don't recall exactly. But I know on the 17th, I said to Chris, how about we let the police take the weapons? Take any guns you have in the house. And I think it was then I said, do you have guns in the house? And I thought it was a good idea that the police take the guns. Why? Because I was afraid of two things. I was afraid that Chris would shoot somebody coming in his home. And I was afraid if somebody came into the home, they would get the guns and shoot Chris and Roberta. Did they take the weapons? The police did. Okay. And you may not ask this question, but I want to divulge this. They took them out the back door and handed them over the fence, one at a time or two at a time, so the public and the press and the hordes of people that were outside of their home would not see the weapons coming out. The police and the FBI were afraid to walk out the front door with those weapons. Imagine how Chris and Roberta felt at that moment. How many weapons did Chris and Roberta have? <laughs> but Brian ended up having a weapon and used it to commit suicide, correct? As we learned. Okay. Was that weapon missing on the 17th? It was. Did Chris and Roberta know it was missing on the 17th? They learned, to my knowledge, because I was part of that phone call. I was live on FaceTime, I believe, when the law enforcement was in the home. And to my knowledge, that's when I think Chris had guns in two places. I think one might have been in the garage and there might have been a gun safe somewhere in the house. I don't recall. I remember two places. And I think when they got to the one spot, they noticed the revolver was missing. That was after Brian was gone. That's correct. Now, I asked... I asked you if there were, if there came a point in time when you were representing Chris and Roberta for something. You mentioned September 11th. What's the significance about September the 11th? September 11th. Is there a privilege issue with this one? Because I can't tell from the question. It is my understanding that I have the ability to waive Brian's privilege in a limited capacity to defend myself. And based upon that understanding, in a very limited capacity. 
I'm going to give you one answer. And that is Brian made a decision on that day. To do what? Do you need to disclose that part or can you just simply, I can tell you the question was not asked correctly for me to answer. What decision did Brian make on the 11th? He made a decision. I can't answer the question. What does that have to do with entering into an attorney-client relationship with Chris and Roberta? I believe my attorney-client privilege with Chris and Roberta was already in place, but I believe it was on that day that it changed. How? The scope had changed. How so? Based upon Brian's actions, Chris and Roberta would now be viewed differently. What actions are those? Wait, wait. Is that a question you can answer? Or is Brian's action known to you only because of attorney-client privilege? No, I can answer it this way. Brian's actions and inactions is probably a better phrase. Are well known to the public. So as is general knowledge, Brian decided to stay home that day. On September 11th. On September 11th. Decided to stay? I should say on the 12th. He decided to stay home. You say it's public knowledge. What's the significance of him staying home on September 11th or 12th? I could answer it because it's public knowledge. It's not something that was gained through attorney-client privilege. What's the public knowledge? That Brian remained home on the 12th. As opposed to doing what? As opposed to doing something different. Well, what did Chris and Roberta tell you on the 11th or 12th that changed the nature of your relationship with them? That's the date you told me things changed. They did. How did they change with regard to Chris and Roberta? At that point, I felt law enforcement was involved on the 11th. To my knowledge, may have happened on the 10th. And Chris had called me on the 11th and on the 12th again. As a result of whatever decisions Brian made, Chris and Roberta were now in a different position with respect to their son. How were they in a different position? To me, there was now an active police investigation. And knowing that the van was in their driveway out front, knowing that Brian had driven home without Gabby, I think any attorney would have known Chris and Roberta were now going to be, if not a target, they were certainly going to be the subject of an investigation. You said there was an active investigation. Yes, sir. Which law enforcement agency? FBI and, to my knowledge, Northport Police and, to my knowledge, Northport, Florida and Suffolk County Police Department in New York. An active police investigation into what? I believe they were looking at that, looking for at that point, it was a missing persons for Gabby. When, to your understanding, was the missing report issued? At that time or today? You made September 11th a significant point in time. I'm just trying to understand the reasoning for why you think that was a significant point in time. But your immediate question was, when did I think it began? Yes. I've come to understand that it may have begun on the 9th or the 10th after reading certain documents and listening to your clients testify. My understanding was that on September 11th, somewhere around 4, 5, 6 in the afternoon, I do not know for sure, I got a call from Chris that the Northport PD had knocked on his door 
And as instructed, he gave them my telephone number. Did Northport police say why they were there? They were there to investigate a missing persons report. And coming from the phone call I got from Chris was because you asked me the question. But I think I'm answering it with information I have not gained from Chris. The phone call I got from Chris was Northport police were there, were here, and we gave them your number. I asked them if anything was said. He said not much more than that. Did you then have contact with the Northport police? At that moment, no, I did not. When did you have contact with any law enforcement agency after that contact with Chris? Forgive my times, but somewhere in the evening. I'm going to say 10 o'clock. It might have been 9. might have been 11. Somewhere between 9 and midnight. On what day? On the 11th. And what were they? Go I ahead. got a phone call from Tracy, Detective Tracy Berry from the Suffolk County Police Department, 5th Precinct. Okay. What did she say? She said she was investigating the missing police missing persons report for Gabby Petito and that she was given my number from the Northport Police Department, who had apparently knocked on the door at Chris and Roberta's house. And that's why she was reaching out to me. Did she tell you why she was reaching out to you? My recollection was she told me because I responded. She told me she was investigating a missing persons for Gabby Petito. I believe it was a missing persons. And then she said something about the van. Like she was very, as most detectives are when they are investigating, she was very blunt and abrupt and accusatory in that sense. Well, he's home and there's a van in the driveway and he wasn't with her and it's not his van. And I just responded to my knowledge, Brian had permission to drive the van and you can't arrest him for that. That was my response to her. Did you have any contact at that time with either the FBI or the Northport police? Not on the 11th. Okay. When you're going to change topics or go to a different date, let's take a short break. Sure. Let me finish this line. Yep. You said as of the 11th or the 12th, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris and Roberta were the target or subject of an investigation. No, that's not what I said. Brian was the target? What I said was, you asked me, why did my assessment of Chris and Roberta's legal needs change? And I said, and as I'm reliving it with you now, it was the 11th into the 12th. So the 11th was the first contact. But I would guess if we're going to get technical, it would have been the 12th that Brian's actions or inactions changed things. Okay. Inactions meaning just staying in the house. That's public knowledge, yes. Okay. And what was it about him just staying at the house that changed the scope of the investigation? Again, we're not sure, but to the extent that it would call for you to answer based on attorney-client communication with Brian, you can't. But if there was a way you can answer without disclosing something Brian told you, you can. This is what I said to you a moment ago, which is knowing that the police are looking for Gabby. And they had focused. If you don't want to use the word target, they had focused on Brian. Brian is now in Chris and Roberta's home. Chris and Roberta know he's home. They know Gabby is not with him. They know, quote, her van is in the driveway. They're not necessarily being a target, but they are going to be a focus of, a, of law enforcement in a different way. In what way? 
However, law enforcement would choose to assess that situation from their side. I do not know. At what point in time, on the 11th or 12th, did anyone from law enforcement tell you that they were looking into activities or conduct of Chris and Roberta? I don't recall. As a criminal, criminal defense lawyer, did you have any concerns about Chris and Roberta on that date, possible crimes that they could have been charged with? No, except I knew that the investigatory, investigatory scope was changing. How? I just told you three times. Brian was in their home. My understanding is it was a joint van. They owned it together. It was in Gabby's name. I don't think that point is really important at this point in time. But again, they used the term he was driving Gabby's van. And I understand the change with regard to Brian. I'm trying to understand what changed on that date with regard to Chris and Roberta that you felt that at that point there was truly an attorney-client relationship. Wait, wait. I object to the form. Asked it answered. Mischaracterizes his former testimony. But go ahead and answer. I was going to clean that up anyway. I never said their attorney-client relationship was existing the whole time. It did not just happen on the 11th. I believe, with respect to the scope, it was not anything that Chris and Roberta did or did not do. It was just the fact that they were there. Okay. So, if I understand, you're suggesting the scope of the attorney-client relationship that you already had with Chris and Roberta changed in some fashion on the 11th or 12th because Brian was now the subject or target of an investigation. No. Okay. I believe the scope of their legal, legal needs, when I say there, I'm talking Chris and Roberta, the scope of Chris and Roberta's legal needs was changing. How? As you know, there, as has been alleged, you have a target of a criminal missing persons investigation in your home while the van is parked out in your driveway. It does not take much more than criminal 101 to know that the police are going to start asking questions of everybody in that house. Okay. So your concern was to represent them with regard to the questioning that they might have, not that there was any potential criminal charges against Chris and Roberta. That's correct. We were trying to prevent criminal charges against Chris and Roberta. What criminal charges were you trying to prevent? Any. Such as? I can't answer that question without divulging attorney-client privilege. However, in a general sense, in the hypothetical, I would say that if there are four people in a home that has possessions in it and a missing girl's van in the driveway, the police are going to look at all four people. Who are the four? I'm using hypothetical. If you want me to use three to make it easier on you, we'll use three. Thank you. <laughs> I think we can take a break now. <laughs> okay. So they're taking a break. Wow. <clears throat> what was the Wyoming thing? <laughs> Back to I, Wyoming? Like, mm. Yeah. I first I took that as like Chris saying like, I'm not going back there, but maybe once Brian got home to Florida, he was like, no freaking way. Like, we're not like, I'm not sending him back out there. Cause then after that, uh, uh, Bertolino said, um, I can meet, you know, I meant I could meet them out there. Like Brian would have to go back out there. Cause that's where it happened. Well, so Bertolino. Like, mm -mm. <laughs> yeah. And, and Chris was like, no, we're not going back out there. Like 
you're we got him home and he's where we want him. Like we're not going back out there. So wow. Um, what about the stayed home on the 12th? What does that mean? Uh, I mean, my mind is fuzzy on, on the timeline for this because I've, it's been so long. I've got the time. I'll pull it up. But my phone is dying because this is, is draining its battery. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I can't get my sound to work and now my battery's dying. That's okay. That's okay. Maybe I can right. finish it. We're at page 72. It was great. 72? Mm-hmm. Oof. Well, there's yeah. not much more to go then. No, there's not. We have 72. There's, well, there's, sorry, there's a lot to go. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> oh, a lot of this is the index, though. Hold on. Oh. So September 12th. Uh-huh. It goes up to 150. So we're about halfway there. I hate to stop, though, because I want to know what's going to happen next. I know. My phone is going to die, though. It's on 15%. <laughs> so well, September what? 11, Gabby was reported missing. Okay, yeah, let's go over some of the timeline. Because then, hold on, let me go back up. What day? Uh, she was 11, okay. right? Yeah, so Brian was seen over the weekend by their neighbor. So that was on the 10th. 10th of September, Brian was seen. And then he wasn't seen again after that. So September 11th, Gabby was reported missing. And that was and... when we saw them knock on the door. Mm -hmm. Right? Weren't there already people there? It was the same day the van was seized. Oh, okay, very early on. Okay, Sunday. Saturday or Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then, so, yeah, so they're saying that Brian stayed home on the 11th and the 12th. And then on the 13th. He left with a backpack saying he was going camping to Carlton Reserve. But wasn't there a wasn't there something wrong with Monday? Remember they didn't report him missing right away? Yeah. So mm -hmm. what how does that fit in with what they're saying right now? Well, they're saying that he stayed home when after Brian had after Gabby had been reported missing on the the eleventh, he'd stayed home on the eleventh or twelfth. Where was he supposed to go? Uh, I don't know. I thought that's what the plan was anyway. Yeah, that kind of threw me off. He stayed home. Like, okay, versus what? I think they're versus just trying to say that's, like, he wasn't doing anything. He was just staying home. Like, keeping him close and safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the 6th to the 8th is when they went to the campground so i guess from eight nine ten eleven he was at home like he'd been told to the campground still just creeps me oh, out because it's like, so bad did they just act normal and then in roberta's testimony she's like no i didn't ask about gabby no no one asked him about gabby he didn't mention gabby it's like what the hell uh-uh i do not believe that for one second mm -hmm. they they changed their reservation so that he could go with them and 100% they were talking about what happened there is no way they didn't and Cassie was there as well unbelievable so you know we all felt kind of bad 
Remember when, you know, JLR and Bullhorn Betty were going to Cassie's house and we were like, oh, we felt so bad. Mm -hmm. I don't feel bad for anything these people went through anymore. How about you? Nope. Not Not one iota. Mm -mm. Not after listening to Roberta yesterday. (laughs) There's no way. She's a piece of work. Mm -hmm. Um. What else was I going to ask you? Oh, the what? The firearms. So they yeah. had how much? I mean, how many guns did they freaking have that they were handing them over two by two over the back fence? Mm-hmm. I know, and he still managed to have one. Like, did they not account for that one? So they didn't bother what? to look prior to. Yeah, I wonder how the whole conversation really came up with Bertolino because Bertolino asks a week after Brian's missing. Y'all have guns? Mm. That doesn't even make sense. Mm-mm. Um, Crime Solver wants to know, why didn't Roberta drop to her knees when they found Brian's remains? Her reaction doesn't match what we know about her feelings. Because they knew. <laughs> you think because they were prepared? I think they knew that that's what was going to happen. They, they must have known that one of their weapons was missing. They'd had the rest of them taken. They must have known that one wasn't accounted for. For sure. For sure. And they knew exactly where he went. So I was reading some theories last night. And one of them was that the family got into um, some kind of an argument or something. And that um, Brian was murdered. And put out there. Jeez. So, I I mean, with these people, who knows anymore? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I hate to say, oh, no, that couldn't happen. You know, a lot of people think he's he took off. I mean, they had plenty of time to get him out of Dodge. Did they not? Well, so when was everyone out there outside the house? Because there were people there all the time. So from I can't remember what date everyone but, started but being there. They started being there right after the car was seized. So it was like that following, I think, Monday was the first time that I think it was um, JLR and Bullhorn Betty yeah. were out there with like the community. Remember the, the community people were driving around their golf court, c- golf carts with mm-hmm. signs that lived in that neighborhood. And that was when like there was little kids out there and stuff. Where's Gabby? Mm-hmm. So I think that was like Monday or Tuesday-ish. Ish. Mm-hmm. Ish. Okay. So Dana, now so you can hop off if your phone is um, fixing to die. I'm still on 15%. Okay. Um, Dana Nelson said that dad did it. They didn't want to bother with him and be embarrassed forever. That's her opinion. A lot of people think that. Lindsay Mm -hmm. Lee. I think Chris did it in a fit of rage at the campground. I don't think it's a campground. No, No, it couldn't have been because he was seen over the weekend. Brian was seen over the weekend by the neighbor. And not only that, that campground was sold out. It's extremely busy and you don't really have privacy. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't have happened at the campground. Somebody would have heard or seen something. Yeah, I still don't understand how Brian left with a backpack and wasn't seen by anyone. Was that him walking down that road? But was it though? I don't know. <laughs> Do you remember the guy? Yes. Yeah, with the thing on his arm. Uh-huh. Like his either. mother's. Yeah, just that sleeve. Mm-hmm. Brian and Roberta were wearing sleeves before JLR made it cool. 
Oh, out at the out at the reserve. So maybe. Oh, they went out with him. Oh, maybe Chris did. What if it? What if Roberta was so warped that she thought, "Oh, we need to put him out of his misery because he can't go to he can't go to jail." I mean, that I mean, is like, messed up. But like what Brian did for Gabby. Put her out of her misery was the story. Mm-hmm. Sick. Wow. So yeah. I mean, I mean, could, if he thinks that way, maybe she does as well. Like, what if? It's just so wild, man. Oh, I have so many questions. Just reading half of this. Mm-hmm. Stacy. <laughs> I want to see that picture again of the the guy. guy want me to sleeve. Okay, let me pull it up. I've got it. I just have to find it. That was some weird stuff, and that was when JLR was there. I think JLR actually got that video from someone who lived on a like another road over, and they were videoing just the people in the neighborhood, you know, protesting, and they happened to get this guy, and they looked at it later, and they were like, "Oh my god." Is that Brian Laundrie? Is there a video of it? Of him walking? Somewhere. I want to see that. I don't know if that was ever, or maybe it was a photo. She took through the windshield. So I know there was like a reflection. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. But it was pretty wild. Because I think the neighborhood was just kind of shook that, um, you know, this was all going on. Mm-hmm. Was he on a bike? I just found an old New York Post article that says another possible Brian Laundry sighting reported this time on a bike in Florida. So TMZ. Or is that to Cigar? Welcome, Stacy. Stacy just became a member. Five months. Yeah, there was the neighbors too, Dana. There was two sightings there. Um, this was nine October 9th near his property in the small town of Denellen, some three hours north of Northport. Dude, if, I don't remember hearing this. Mm-mm, October. Let me show you. There's a picture of him on the bike. Yeah, in October. Remember, there was all those crazy sightings, like in the Appalachian Mountains. Yes, on the but trail. This mm-hmm. is actually in Florida, on the 9th of October, twenty twenty one. I mean, it could be anybody on a bike. I really That's can't. So hard to tell. Yeah, I can't tell either. But it says the person with a heavy backpack was traveling along a rugged sugar sand path where people barely, barely, rarely venture on foot or by vehicle. They gave the thing to the FBI. Let's see, these are all the sightings. There was Fort DeSoto, and then there's their home, and then they found traces of a campsite at the Carlton Reserve, which we know was that homeless, or that guy that was on the run. They thought they saw him oh in Donnellan. That was weird. <laughs> that was so weird. The guy in the shack. Yeah. 
That was scary. That was really creepy. So then he was mistaken in the Appalachian Mountains and they raided that one dude's hotel room and it wasn't him. That was missing identity. I can't find that photo. I thought I had it and I can't find it. I'm trying to, I'm going to try to Google it and see if it's out there, but it never was confirmed or anything. It was just something that was wild that was out there. And he was wearing that t-shirt that was, um, Oh, what? I can remember looking for that image on that t-shirt. <sighs> what was the t-shirt image on there? Uh, I, can't I can remember. remember what it looks like, but I can't remember what it, who it was. I know people knew who it was. Yeah, I can't, I can't find that photo, but, <gasps> but wasn't it wild too that Chris kept going out there after Brian was found? Hmm. I thought that was kind of wild. And and I agree. I don't think their reaction that day, like Roberta, knowing that she absolutely, I mean, literally was in love with her son. Mm-hmm. She was just yeah. standing, just whatever. Yeah. It was like they totally knew. Like it wasn't a surprise to them. And, but even if you do know, to find your son's stuff, like, how is there no emotion? I don't get it. Well, and another thing that was weird was when they were riding around on that, um, like, four-wheeler. Chris was on a four-wheeler with, like, FBI agents. Mm -hmm. And he was, like, laughing. It's just, it seemed so out of place. Yeah. Here's that photo of them out right. there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Just casually finding your son's bones like it's no big deal. Right. And Chris exactly. is all wet. Like he was walking in the swamp. It's just like they've gone out there for like a leisurely stroll. <laughs> What's in her bag? Roberta in a backpack. I know, it's so weird. I always, I gave that a thought too, Jana. I thought maybe he took off from Fort DeSoto. It would be so easy. <clears throat> yeah, we Googled it endlessly. Yeah. Um, who's cool cat? Roberta wearing Brian shorts. So that was that's gonna come up, I think, in the next half is gonna be um Steven Bertolino talking about the mix up with the FBI and Northport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they look like they're just bird watching. Like her bird on her card. They really do. It's insane. Yeah. And you know what's really odd is remember we all heard that Roberta was sick? Mm hmm Yeah. The only mention in her whole deposition was about a phone call that she talked to Brian at like one in the morning. And she's like, oh, I must have called him when I was sick. Mm. Well, that made me think like maybe she had the flu or something. But I was surprised that nothing came up because we were all talking about the sleeve and you yep. would think if she's so emotional about a pie or, you know, other things, other little sulky things she talked about that she would, um, you know, bring up her illness, especially mm -hmm. if it would help this situation and some sympathy. 
Yeah. So There's been no change. Nothing. So we'll finish this. I don't know um, when you're going to be available. If... I want to we'll do it as soon as possible because I want to know. <laughs> okay. So maybe tomorrow, some point. I'm not sure what your day is like tomorrow. I am working all day tomorrow, but I can do it in the evening. Well, we'll figure it out. We'll talk after this and we'll figure it out and we'll get you guys the other half of this faux show because we want to know the outcome too. And we also have Christopher mm -hmm. Laundries as well as um, the Petitos or Joe Petito and Nicole Schmidt. So I yes. want to hear, I want to hear all sides of this. And mm -hmm. this is something that we've waited years for yes for you so know long. to know what happened yeah i know i'm excited for christopher's too me too pink butterfly you notice chris told them chris told them not where brian was yeah he just kept saying jackson he wasn't specific which is awful um I need to know more about Bri about them getting Brian's car after he went missing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was when Northport police thought he was Roberta. Yeah. That was when the whole thing ran amok. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We know where Brian is. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when Roberta was asked, well, when they said they knew where Brian was, where did you, you know, didn't you want to know where he was? And she said, no, I figured the police had him. Yeah, everything's fine. They know where he is. I don't really, I don't need to know that information. Whatever. None of it makes sense. There's no deposition for Cassie. There isn't one. I don't know if she was deposed, but it's not. It hasn't been released. Maybe she really didn't know anything. Then. She may not have. It doesn't because, seem I mean, to me that the parents were really in great communication with her on details mm -mm. and they did say that when they went camping they didn't talk about her because the kids were there which is also kind of weird because i'm sure they would have asked where's where's gabby well yeah and gabby sent her kids postcards mm -hmm. from aunt gabby yeah they must have and i don't believe that she though. would have asked, she would have said brian where's gabby or did mm. Roberta say, we're not talking about that with Brian? Yeah, she could have, I guess. Dude, that woman would drive me nuts. Mm -hmm. Drive me nuts. All right, guys. We are um, about an hour and a half. That was not too bad. Not bad. Not bad. So this should be good for replayers. Let us know if you're replaying. Let us know your thoughts on the first half of this deposition. And we will get you the other half very soon. Thank you for tuning in, guys. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you, Potato. Thank you. You played a very well solicitor. And you are an awesome Berlino. <laughs> and Melts as well, chipping in. I know, Melts. I don't know, I don't know <laughs> who he is. You change, you change the way you speak. So, so good. You should be an actress. Oh, it's Lord. So I kind of am in a way right here. <laughs> it's Thank awesome. you, everybody. I know I can't wait to finish either. Have a good night, Potato. We're going to dance it out tonight. Let me see if I can find it. Here we go. All right. Oh, wait a minute. Not yet. Wait, there's more. I got to show you what was on this program. So I haven't streamed live from this program. And I don't know, like, 
could say it would be like two years. I made this intro when Potato first started coming on my panel like two years ago. And it's still loaded up in here. So we're going to play it really quick and then we'll dance it out. Okay. Ready? <laughs> P potato oh my god <laughs> didn't you get struck for that <laughs> i figured i'll cut i'll cut it out it's too funny not to share i had to do it i started playing i was like oh no <laughs> it's that one i can't unmute <laughs> it's the funniest damn thing i had to do <laughs> i love it but <laughs> yeah i'll just trim that little part out but Thank you for letting me play that. That's so funny, man. Oh, shit. I was like, I can't believe how long ago that was. I'm like, it's wow. so cool. I have this British girl that's coming up. <laughs> She's the potato. She and she comes from the land down under. Not. I love. All that. right, the first this time, time we spoke, and you're like, "What's the weather like in Australia?" I was like, "I don't know, but it's raining here." <laughs> like, it's not in Australia. I, I got the two confused. <laughs> I would think people from Australia were from the UK and UK people from Australia. I'd be like, we same difference. Same. <laughs> we do sound same similar. And people always say that I sound like I'm from there as well. So I should just roll with it. Yeah. I would love to be uh -oh. from there. Well, there you go. <laughs> In your other life, you can be from there. Yeah. All righty. <laughs> we're going to dance it out, guys. Thanks for your support. It's painting services by Steve. I saw him in here earlier. Thank you, Steve. Hope you're doing well. And let's do this somehow. Bye. Okay. for that.